Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. He has been the big winner of the last 18 months. Michael Wilson, chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley, was out front with a cute week-to-week talk about a bear market, and then up in June, down again, and now up again, an important conversation. John, why don't you lead off with Mr. Wilson? Well, I think we've got to go to Mike's crystal ball. Mike, I think the call of the year wasn't the call of the start of the year. It was that tactical rally, that bullish call you made about a month or so ago. And Mike, we're seeing it play out. And I think we're all wondering whether you think there's much more upside from here. Yeah, well, thanks, John. Uh, good to see you guys. Hey, look, I, I mean, we talked about this the last time I was on uh, the tactical rally. I felt like the move to 4,000 was was pretty much in the cards. And then we said, look, we don't know if we're going to get another level to this. If it's going to happen, we're going to need rates to come in further. Uh, and that's what, that's what's happening now. And it's going to be probably led by, you know, the NASDAQ and also the you know stocks that are most heavily shorted uh, as rates come down the long duration plays. And that's exactly what we saw yesterday. Uh, and so we have more confidence that this rally will continue uh, into December. Uh, it's not going to be easy uh, because I want to make it clear, as we said last time as well, it's still a bear market. Um, these things are tricky, uh, but we have to try and, and trade these. When you get 15, 20 percent moves that go against you, you don't want to miss it. And sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't. This one we did. So we're, we think it can extend here now. Uh, we think rates will go lower. Uh, we think, you know, Powell's commentary is right in line with what we've been saying, which is that they're going to pause probably uh, in January. And the market's getting in front of that, and this is a, this is a classic, uh, you know, kind of uh, kind of Fed pause stock market rally. And then ultimately, you think we get beaten around the head with poor earnings as we go into 2023. Now, Mike, I'm going to read you a quote, and it reads as follows: Previous lows in equity markets are likely to be retested, as there may be a significant decline in corporate earnings. We're inclined to think that this market decline could happen between now and the end of the first quarter of 2023. Now, if someone gave me that quote, Mike, I'd think it was you. Except it wasn't. It was J.P. Morgan's Marco Kolanovic yesterday. Now, Mike, you like to be contrarian. You have been through much of this year. I have to say that view now of early 23 earnings risk is almost consensus, Mike. How are you thinking about it as we go into a new year? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you can say it for other people, too. I mean, we all try to you know, stand out with a, something that's, you know, insightful or different. And you're right. I mean, our our call this year now has become pretty much consensus. That, but that's why we flipped in, in, in October, right. quite frankly, is we felt like that call, the fire and ice call, right, Fed tightening into a slowdown became consensus. Now we see kind of this idea that uh, we're going to make a lower low in the first quarter. I don't think that's quite consensus yet. But I tell you what's not consensus is this tactical rally. OK, that uh, we watch the, you know, our competitors, we watch, talk to a lot of clients to try and get a sense for where that sentiment is. Right. And I would say this is one of the most hated 
bear market rallies that I can recall, even more so than this summer. So I think the right setup now is this rally will go further and it will probably drag people back into thinking that the bear market is over. And then that will be part of the signal for us to kind of press on the other side again. Pushing against that, perhaps, Mike, and this goes to Ellen Zentner and maybe Jobs Day tomorrow, is what inflation does, what the economy does. What do your analysts at Morgan Stanley say about the mystery of revenue growth at the top line next year? And if you get better revenue growth because of high nominal GDP, how does that redound upon margins? Yeah, this has been an ongoing debate we've had with clients since really April. Uh, you know, we were out in front on earnings disappointing at some point into 23. And, but it does contrast with this idea that we live in a nominal world. Uh, you know, GDP, nominal GDP is probably going to stay positive next year, even if we have a recession. You know, Ellen's forecast next year is for not a recession, but basically 0% real growth. So it's going to feel like a recession. But to your point, if you get, you know, if, if inflation is still positive, you can have positive revenue growth. We have that baked into our numbers, Tom. In other words, our base case of $195 next year assumes that we still have positive revenue growth of about 3% due to you know nominal GDP staying in positive territory, but it all comes down to margins. And this is the part of the story that we think is underappreciated by a lot of investors, which is you know inflation is what drove profits higher. And so as inflation comes down next year, as we're forecasting, we have inflation going back towards two, two, two to 3% by the end of next year. That's actually bad for equities, good for bonds, but bad for equities because it's going to crush margins. And this is the story that we think is, once again, underappreciated. The negative operating leverage that we're seeing in business models as companies scramble for supply six, eight months ago and over higher, that has to be, you know, run through the income statement now. And that's going to be the, that's going to, what's, that's going to be what makes the low in the first and second quarter. So I would say where people are maybe catching up on the earnings story, I don't think they're bearish enough in terms of this margin degradation. Mike, you said that there perhaps could be a trough of 3000 to 3200 in the first quarter of next year as we do get that reality check from earnings. Have the recent data with respect to the latest CPI, with respect to some of the other uh, metrics that people are seeing a softening in and that we're hearing a change in tone from the rhetoric of, of Jay Powell perhaps yesterday, have you changed that view? Does that seem further away in terms of that bear case scenario? Well, once again, I mean, the, the bear case scenario assumes we have a, probably a modest recession next year. And in that scenario, all we're, all that happens is revenue growth goes flat, maybe maybe slightly negative, but that will make the negative operating leverage even worse. And so that's $180 in earnings next year. So with $180 in earnings next year, you know, three thousand is not is not really a stretch. So look, we don't you know we don't have a crystal ball. Unfortunately, I wish I did. In terms of the, what I'm most uncertain about is the timing of this. You know, we thought it could have actually happened in the fourth quarter of this year, needing these earnings revisions. And that's one of the reasons we flipped positive in, in October is we felt like it's going to be pushed out. And that's what's happening. Could it get pushed out further into the middle of next year? Yes. Do we think we can avoid it? No. So we're, you know, we think it, at a minimum we'll take out 3500 sometime in the first half of next year. And yes, that bear case, unfortunately, is alive. And that's 3000 In the meantime, Mike, let's get one final call from you. What would you buy and hold right now going into year end? What would it be? And it could be away from the index. You tell me. Yeah, well, I think it's bonds. I mean, like we're, you know, I think that 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 if you think about bear markets that are punctuated by a either economic or earnings recession, we think we're going to get at least one of those, the earnings recession. The the sort of order of operations is very clear. You want to buy cat, you want to be cash first, then you want to buy treasuries, long duration, then you want to buy credit, then you want to buy equities last. So, you know, we're already over a lot of people already overweight cash. So front end cash. 
or you own back-end treasuries. Now, for a trade, okay, we think it's NASDAQ or you know, long duration stocks will will like that move in rates lower. It's but that's more speculative. That's for the trading community. I think for the investment community and for asset owners, it's basically bonds. Mike, just phenomenal. Thanks for your time and let's catch up before year end. Mike Wilson. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. What we're going to do is dive into this with Jordan Rochester, G10 FX strategist. No more. I'm going to ask one question here on how do you not lose money, and then John's going to pick it up on the currency dynamics he just mentioned. Jordan Rochester, you, like every adult out there, uses a thing like stop losses. You've been enjoying being stopped out of trades right now. Explain to our audience why it's amateur hour if you don't have stops. Well, I don't enjoy being stopped out, Tom, but they're absolutely essential to your risk management. I think with the FTX scandal, they, I think Alameda bragged that they didn't have stop losses. So that's quite clear uh, what can happen if you don't. But look, what's happening in the markets, Tom, how to avoid losing money here is the market's looking at U.S. energy prices. They've cooled off year on year. That leads PPI, producer prices lower. That leads headline inflation with a lag lower. So it's quite hard to see reasons why the Fed would get suddenly more hawkish, especially after Chair Powell's speech last night signaling that slowdown to 50 basis points. So you had a green light from the Fed chair last night to sell the dollar and buy risk appetite. And that's why you've seen the Nasdaq up over 4% yesterday. In FX, Tom, the correlations between foreign exchange and interest rates have really dropped off a cliff. The most predominant factor that's driving everything right now is where global equities are going. So I'm currently long euro dollar. We do have a stop on that around 101, 101.70. But I think that's going to go towards 108. I think that's going to be something that could go towards 110 in the new year. Because of what's happening in China, because the low energy prices we've seen over recent weeks in Europe as well, helping boost European production. So that risk on sentiment that you see in equities feeds directly to the dollar. Now, there's that famous Spider-Man Spider -Man meme on Twitter where everyone points at each other, blaming each other. FX guys <laughs> no, That's surveillance. We call equities. that Jordan surveillance. Surveillance. Yeah. FX guys say it's equities <clears throat> drying everything. Equity guys say it's FX. 
Well, I just the main point I would say is if you think that this risk on can carry on in the S&P 500, it means the dollar is going to continue to weaken into year end. And you'd play that through the euro. Where does sterling fit in? Well, we had short sterling Swiss on because we thought we needed some RV to hedge our sort of risk on position. Sterling Swiss had been less correlated to the equity market than other, other crosses, but you can't ignore that Swissy is a risk off hedge. So what's happened is we got stopped out of that short sterling Swiss, not because we had some amazing news out of the UK, but for two reasons. One, everybody agreed with the trade. And that always tells you that everyone's positioned the same way as you. And two, risk on. Sterling always does well when the equity markets rally. It's very rare that it doesn't. Only during Brexit really did we see that change in 2016. So for the likes of Sterling, we think that you could climb towards 125 uh, by the end of next year. And in these markets, guys, uh, we're seeing big moves in Dolly N, for example, four, four big figures in just 24 hours. You know, 125 is not that big of a push to see earlier if we have more good news. But based on what we know right now, it's going to be that slow grind higher. It's hard for me to see any of this other than a big dollar story and everyone else is coming along and rationalizing it in some way or another. I mean, it was pretty much all of the major currency pairs were really big gainers in the past month versus the dollar. And are people getting ahead of themselves with this idea of fading inflation and a Fed that's going to somehow respond to that? I mean, could this really whipsaw in the other direction based on positioning? I think it really could, Lisa, but not now. That's the, that's the problem with markets. We could have a view about what could happen in Q2 or Q3 next year, but the markets don't trade that just yet sometimes. And I think the risks are, for all, all my leading indicators for inflation in the US, they all point down. There's none of them pointing up. I can't really say, oh my God, watch out for this inflation risk. Look at this chart. They're all pointing to lower energy prices, lower inflation. Therefore, you can say it, it CPI has peaked and it's quite clearly peaked. We're looking for 0.3% on the core again, month on month. Nomura was the only uh, team, the economics team in the US to get that number right last month. So if they get that right again and we have another 0.3 or even lower, it's kind of hard for the dollar to rally. But let's look to next year. We could have in Q2, China's reopened, Q3, we start to feel the impacts of that in energy markets. And the Fed doesn't cut rates, perhaps. That's the risk. We think they will, but the risks are we have a wave of energy inflation again next year in Q3 as energy markets tighten up and demand comes back. And that could change the narrative quite a lot. So right here, right now, we I don't think we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think the dollar can, can continue to weaken against the euro, at least. Um, and that should feed through to risk on and other G10 crosses. Jordan, one reason why I love reading your reports is because you've got this confidence metric and you have, you know, three out of five, five out of five. I remember back when you were five out of five. Now you're three out of five. How much are you seeing a lack of conviction or a pulling back or a humility in some of the positioning that you're seeing across FX as you sort of sort out all of these uncertainties that are lying ahead? Well, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. What we tend to have in this market is prices moving, make narratives, narratives then drive research pieces. But fundamentals ultimately drive where prices will be. Right now, the fundamentals are that we could perhaps see softer inflation, therefore weaker dollar. But we're getting to year end and a lot of accounts were sat long dollar for most of this year, including ourselves since February pretty much of, of the year when Russia invaded Ukraine. Why wouldn't you be long the dollar? So that trade is still being unwound in certain uh, sectors. And that means perhaps everything we're seeing right now is just position reduction and no one really changing their optimism for next year. For us, we think there's going to be recession risks. Usually when there's a recession, the dollar does well. The problem is we start, we're starting to see signs of early uh, rebounds in European PMIs, for example. China's credit impulse is going up. So there are fundamental reasons why you could see this risk on be sustained. You just need hope to prevail. 
And we do have risks coming up. We've got OPEC next week. We've got the EU oil sanctions on Monday as well. That's 21% of uh, the EU's oil imports from Russia being sanctioned from Monday onwards. I'm not sure where they're going to get that 21% of their total oil imports from in the next month. So there's, there are certainly risks to this outlook. Johnny, you've got 20 seconds. What are you more confident about? Your euro dollar call or England getting past Senegal later this weekend? Oh, I'm pretty confident about the England team. I mean, we've had, the US gay game, USA game was a bit boring. It was like watching paint dry. But what a fantastic <laughs> Wales game. And I hopefully they bring that back to the pitch. Should Jack Grealish be playing more? You're asking a Birmingham boy whether Jack Grealish should be playing more. I, 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 just, I already know what Jordan's going to say. The answer is yes. I'm, I'm happy with him playing every game at least. In the second half, he gets a showing. Um, you know, he got one of the goals as well in the first game of the World Cup. So this is fantastic for Birmingham. And we've got, it's not just uh, Grealish now. We've got Jude Bellingham too. He's like, Grealish is on the edge of Gareth. I mean, he gets in the field and things happen. He's great. They do okay He's there? a really classy player. I spent yeah, all night studying for this. With Jordan Rochester and you on World Cup? I mean, I'm going to Well, we're breaking it down all city to city, where these players come from, Tom. You're going to another level. Another level. It's Jordan Rochester like, in the like, Thank you. I'm just doing it because of our love. It's so deep. <laughs> what we do every day is our guess, and it starts and ends with the research capabilities of Vincent Reinhardt, assisting Chairman Greenspan over many, many years at the Fed and at Dreyfus Mellon, holding court in important writings in the pandemic about the state of our economy. Vince Reinhardt, just a general question of a two-hour conversation. Do you buy the idea we're heading for recession? In your years with Greenspan, were you able to predict a recession? Uh, nobody really predicts a recession. What you can say is there's an elevated chance of it, just like you could say you have an <laughs> elevated chance of infection if you go into bad places without right. a mask. Uh, there is an extremely elevated chance of recession. Uh, and if you had to place your money, I, I, I bet that within 12 months, the economy is in downturn. I look at this, Vince, and then I look at the parlor game of the Fed, which is now different than when you were holding court at the Eccles building. And the basic idea here is we're gaming out a, a, a rate movement higher, and then we are, quote unquote, going to figure out to pivot and guess when that occurs. Have you ever seen anything like this? Or is this new pundit territory? No. This, this is old-style monetary policy. Right now, monetary policy is hard but simple. It's hard in the sense they have to inflict pain on the economy to get inflation down. It's simple because the strategy is if you don't know what the right neutral funds rate is, put it at a level you sure is restrictive and then keep it there until you have demonstrable evidence that inflation is going back to goal. So if you're not exactly sure how to calibrate policy, don't. Put it at a plateau next year and just wait. That's what Chair Powell told us yesterday. Is that what he told us yesterday, Vince? Or did you hear perhaps a little bit more of a concession around perhaps moderating their stance in order to avoid a hard landing? Uh, I don't get how most of the headlines came out of that uh, 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 remarks uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, he repeated his press conference uh characterization you we're raising rates till we get them to a level and then we're going to keep them there uh he dismissed a lot of data uh with regard i don't don't want to be on the other side of mike's argument but i think i have to be 
yesterday, Chair Powell said inflation moves around sometimes uh, after good numbers, bad numbers come out. So I think that they would down downweight the PCE price part of this. And then what he was saying was we've got to keep the pace of aggregate demand below that a trend. So he should be worried about the spending part about it. This was not a good morning for the Fed. Well, Vincent, this is really the key point. A lot of people are saying that there is a downward shift in inflation and it's coming at a pace that's surprising analysts that this is good news. It's going to allow the Fed to move away from some of the rate hikes and even cut rates sooner than previously expected. Do you think people are getting ahead of themselves, that really those inputs are not declining quickly enough and that they could even reaccelerate based on some of the rollover effects in areas, for example, like used cars? Uh, events always look bigger in the rearview mirror than they really are. Uh, I think there is a tendency to over over overweight this incoming information. Chair Powell said that yesterday, by the way. He said inflation's volatile. <clears throat> Sometimes after good readings, you get bad readings. He was basically telling us not to be so stressed about it. Do I believe inflation is off its peak? Absolutely. Uh, goods price inflation has come off the boil because supply chains have been been improving and market economies work by bringing resources into sectors that are overheated but it's spilled over to service inflation that's what you got to worry about that's what Powell's worried about the durable part part of inflation that's still above the fed's goal vince reinhardt olivier blanchard reaffirmed a higher level of inflation we can be comfortable with. He went from 4% in the crisis of 08, 09, down to something more like a 3% level is the new 2%. Uh, without going into the details of the Blanchard essay in the FT, is he onto something here, which we are going to rationalize our way away from the 2% level? Uh, so yes and no. The, the yes part is... Back in the mid-90s, when central banks settled on a 2% inflation goal, it's not like they had a great conversation about the costs and benefits of that long-term goal. And we know more about problems with the zero lower bound. And so we should have a serious discussion of what the right goal is. In the United States, it's got to include the Congress, by the way, because it's the Congress that specifies price stability. That's my no part. I wouldn't want to have a conversation with the Congress about the Federal Reserve's goals most times, certainly not in the next in, in the next two years. Moreover, it's one thing to redefine the goal when you're succeeding. It's another thing to redefine the goal when you're failing. We call that the bank uh, that's of England. Just, <laughs> yeah, that, that's just base drift. That uh, you, you just can't do it. Hey, Vince, well said. Vincent Reinhardt. That was brilliant. Wonderful, thank you. Brilliant. A Dreyfus man in there. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Rabila Faruqi joins us now, Chief U.S. Economist with Carl Weinberg at High Frequency Economics. Rabila, what is the distinction of what we're going to hear Friday, tomorrow at 8.30? What matters to you and Carl? Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, what we're really looking at beyond, you know, the usual, uh, you know, headline job numbers and the participation rate, it's wages, right? Mm -hmm. The Chair Powell made it very clear yesterday what they're focusing on in terms of the inflation, uh, you know, dynamics. And that is what we're going to be looking at. We're looking for a very small deceleration, but really very far above uh, where uh, the pre-pandemic trend was very far above with what the Fed is saying is consistent with the 2% inflation target. Right. So, you know, just definitely is going to be something we're focusing on, but not something that we're going to see, uh, you know, imminent, imminent improvement on either. I want to dovetail with the <laughs> academic zeitgeist that's out there, Rabila. And this is the academic saying maybe the labor participant labor participation rate is not accurate because of the pandemic and older people retiring. Is this good math that we see Friday? I mean, we've seen the, this adjustment, right, post-pandemic where you've seen excess retirement. So we really shouldn't be looking for the participation rate to improve too much. But if you remember, you know, before the pandemic, when the labor market was strong, Job growth was strong, but people were coming back into the labor market. So what is the dynamic here? Uh, is growth going to slow, off, slow enough that people will want to get back into the labor market? Are their savings going to diminish enough? Uh, you know, uh, is the cushion from, uh, you know, the income support that they've had, is that going to dissipate and they are going to be motivated to come back into the labor market? Certainly a possibility, not our base case right now, not the Fed's base case, certainly. You know, if you heard Jay Powell yesterday, uh, that's not what they are expecting to see. So I think those dynamics, that, that post-pandemic distortion is probably going to last for some time. Rubila, you mentioned Fed Chair Jay Powell in his speech yesterday. Some people, a lot of people thought that it was uh, more dovish than expected. At least he didn't come out with a hawkish rebut of some of the gains that we've seen in the equity markets. However, to your point, he talked about the labor market tightness and how significant of a concern this is for him. How much do you view that, that as causing the Fed to raise rates higher and the market is currently pricing in, even after yesterday's uh, rally, even after yesterday's perhaps shift slightly in tone from Jay Powell? So, you know, what I heard from what uh, he said yesterday is that higher for longer, right? Rates have to rise further. They don't really know how restrictive because they don't really know where that level is. But certainly 
we're going to move higher. You know, our base cases, they're going to go 50, then another 50 in the first quarter, top out around 5%. But if the labor market does not start responding, our base cases, it is, right? I mean, five percentage points of uh, rate hikes, we don't see how the economy doesn't respond to that. But if they, we don't see the type of improvement we, we need to see, and we don't see sustained easing of wage pressures off of these levels, you know, 4.7% to maybe 3.5-ish, then yes, certainly the, 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 there's this risk that rates move higher. But I think what markets really need to understand is that the Fed does not want to over-tighten now because then crash the economy and then come out on the other side and ease rates. So they're going to go gradually. They're going to watch what's happening in, you know, in response to what they've already done so far. And then they're going to see how long they need to stay there. We think that you know, they reach peak rate, whatever that rate is, in the first quarter, and then they stay there for the rest of the year, at least, to see that sustained uh, you know, improvement in inflation from slightly restrictive policy stance. People would push back, including Ben Laidler, who says that if you look around, there is disinflation everywhere. Is there any area where that's not true, where you're starting to see inflation starting to re-accelerate? Well, I mean, what we've seen is inflation readings right now are still not that far off peaks. I mean, 77 on the CPI, down from 9.1%, quite substantial, but still way above target. For uh, PCE accelerating, we're going to see a slight, uh, we expect to see a slight deceleration, but these are not levels that are consistent with you know, what the Fed wants to see. Yes, there are signs of disinflation, but on the good side, services inflation is still very sticky. What Chair Powell talked about in particular yesterday was that core services ex-housing, and that, you know, has a strong wage component to it. So adjustment in the labor market, rebalancing is necessary so that those wage pressures can come under control, which will give them a little bit more room uh, you know, to sort of uh, adjust to see where we're going from here. For a man who said there wasn't space for nuance at the last news conference, I have to say there was a lot of nuance yesterday in a way that I didn't anticipate. Rabila, fantastic, as always. Rabila Faruqi there of High Frequency Economics. Somebody that was there when Mao took over China was Robert Dahl. He's chief investment officer at Crossmark. He's been doing this a few years along with me, and we're thrilled he joins us in the studio uh, this morning. You got a little bit in your note there for the first time in 50 years. We've been this gloomy. We've had this much gloom out there. And that's why I make the joke back to 1947. But part of that is years in my history is when inflation moves, it moves suddenly to disinflation. Is that where we are right now? I don't think we're quite there yet, Tom, uh, unless you're going to call acceptable or disinflation three or four percent. Um, I think we can get there with what we've done, but not two. Nowhere close to two. Okay, well, not to two, but then we're there, and that means I've got nominal GDP, which helps corporate revenues. Yes. Who are the survivors of a better corporate revenue given an inflation milieu that you and I are the only two that have ever lived in? <laughs> given that we want some pricing power. You've got to go the places where people can raise prices. We haven't been in that environment in a long, long time. And I'm going to tell Lisa, you're going to love this. I used to go up and down the elevator in Boston with the giant Philip Carey, who Bob and I worshipped, died at, I think, 104. And Mr. Carey would, and it is Mr. Carey, Mr. Carey would talk about the bright lights of inflation. 
that's where we are now. So if we're going to talk history, let's talk history. And let's talk a half a century ago, which was the last time that we saw three consecutive quarters of stocks and bonds losing value together. What does history say? And is it instructive in terms of what that means going forward? Well, first of all, the reason it happened was the rapid adjustment. We had essentially zero inflation and zero interest rates, not to exaggerate by much. Then all of a sudden the Fed said, oh, it's not transitory and we got to get moving. And so we've had the most rapid increase in Fed funds. And you guys said it a few minutes ago, the lag is impossible to predict about the impact of that. And so we're going to have a slowing economy and that will help bring the inflation rate down. The Fed's got to pray that the labor market quiets down. So one uh, guest after another has talked about flooding into treasuries, flooding into duration. Even Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley, he comes out. What would you be buying? The equity strategist bonds, right? I mean, how much do you lean into that versus step away and say maybe people are uh, overestimating how much inflation can drop? I think, Lisa, that um, owning some bonds is just fine. It's zero at the beginning of the year. You didn't want any. When treasuries approach four on the 10-year, we say, you've got to be nibbling away bonds. And we're not that far f- from that now. So bond, the old 60-40 is dead that we all preached a year ago. Not true anymore. Bonds have a place in the portfolio, especially if you believe inflation's coming down to three or four. Forget the two for the moment. My theme for next year, you're the only one breathing who remembers a specially chemical oh roll-up of years ago. Remember? <laughs> He's not that, that old. Day? Like, what is this? Thank the carry-on. No, I mean, come I, on. Bob and I remember when every, every wise guy in Manhattan said, we got to roll up the chemical industry. Remember yes, that? Yes. We all went mental for 18 months and turned it into <laughs> three companies or whatever. I'm talking about the great zombie roll-up next year where we demarcate between between profit-making and cash flow-making companies and everybody else. Do you agree with that, that there's going to be a demarcation? So agree. And what that means more broadly is fundamentals matter again. When interest rates are zero, they're artificially low, and you can't really say that the good guy wins from a stock price standpoint. How did Sears last so long? The answer is because they were given artificially mm-hmm. low interest rates, and that was tough for places like Target. Now, in this environment, the Targets will do well, and the Sears's will struggle. Explain to people that under duress, corporations adjust. How does that process actually happen? Yeah, it's slow because they've been so used to zero inflation. And they zero had a free lunch rates. for 12 years. Exactly, and got used to operating in that sort of environment. This is a different world now. Uh, and we come back to, can you raise your price? Can you attract customers and keep them as your price uh, rises? Look look at what's happening in the steel stocks, for example. You mentioned chemicals earlier. But the steel. Steel, steel are poking their head up. And this is telling us we're in an environment where um, inflation's not going back to zero. I don't think it's U.S. Going steel is still X. I haven't looked at that in years. <laughs> that chart? But people that are chart? talking. People are talking about how the real economy <clears throat> is getting its revenge. That has been the theme for 2022, and it's rearing its head, and that's why you're seeing the inflation under uh, underpinning some of these <clears throat> commodity sectors. How much does that mean that the other areas that got bid up? I'm thinking big tech in particular can't really come back in the same kind of way and won't necessarily drive indexes to the same extent. I think you're on to it. Uh, we've obviously seen it this uh, this past year, but I think going forward, we're going to have the same sort of issues. If you're a company <clears throat> that's operating only on unit growth, your unit growth is going to be really strong to get you through. And tech is mostly unit growth. So I, I think they will be a lagging sector again. 
What are your clients doing? Well, you're Crossmark out of Houston and, you know, nationwide and all that. Are they loaded up their eyeballs in cash? What are they actually doing with their money? Yeah, so people people are asking a lot of questions. Too many people are frozen. Um, but uh, they're, they're making investments. You, you have to hold their hand and draw them to the, the horse to the water. You and Victoria's saying, let it go. That, let yeah, it go. Yeah, something Does like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's something like that. Um, but they're, that, uh, they're, 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 they're doing something. They're doing more, get educated and buying some alternatives. Like we have an equity market in neutral product that's getting some attention you sell it now you, yes. you have an equity market neutral product yes bob Dahl, the great optimist thank you so much with crossmark all the best uh, global thank you uh, in investments this is the bloomberg surveillance podcast thanks for listening join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m eastern on bloomberg radio and on bloomberg television each day from 6 to 9 a.m for insight from the best in economics finance investment and international relations And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit returns to London on April 25th for a solution-driven look at the sustainable business and finance landscape. Looking at the latest trends in ESG regulations, supply chain innovation, and transition finance. Speakers include leaders from CDP, Emirates Environment Group, TNFD, C-Trace, COA, and more. Summit advisors include City and Schneider Electric. Visit BloombergLive.com slash SBS 2024 to learn more.